When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ed Robertson with a reminder that Thomas Hayden Church will join us later on in this hour. We hope to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll begin this hour as we did our first hour by playing highlights from one of our conversations with Rita Lakin. Rita Lakin, the Edgar-nominated screenwriter, producer, and novelist who was also one of the very first female scriptwriters in network television at a time when the television industry was almost entirely run by men. Rita Lakin passed away this past Thursday, March 23rd at the age of 93. The conversation you're about to hear originally aired in September 2016. Hi, Peter Marshall here, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcoming you back to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. It is always happy to welcome back our friend Rita Lakin. Rita not only spent 25 years in network television, she was also one of the industry's A-list writer-producers, which is particularly significant because Rita worked in television at a time when network TV was pretty much still an all-boys Network. Rita didn't necessarily know it at the time, but she opened doors for a lot of people in television, not only during the 1970s, but those efforts are still very much evident today. Rita Lake, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. We were talking before we started recording. We are talking about certain shows on cable, cable dramas that elevate the forms. I don't know whether you watched Mad Men. Oh, yeah, sure I did. Okay, well, then you'll understand where I'm coming from with my first question. In many ways, you were the original Peggy on Mad Men. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't treated like Peggy at all. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, you were not you were not chased around the office like some of the other secretaries on, on Mad Men, but but I wasn't taken seriously, which would be the closest to Peggy. Yes, you, I mean, I, I was a novelty, and it was okay to have me around, and I didn't bother them, you know. And but it wasn't. She felt really, really cruelly left out. And I, I didn't really feel that way. No, and and one of the reasons why you didn't is because a you know one significant difference is that you had you had two male. I mean, we talked about this before. They're like your two male guardian angels when you first started working in television, who who recognized your potential and gave you an opportunity and supported you. Plus, 
plus, and this is particularly true when you got on staff with uh, on on Peyton Place. There, there were other female writers that you worked with who also provided support at that time. That's right. But still, I mean, you often had to deal. I mean, especially those first five, ten years. Part of the and this goes back to breaking barriers. I mean, I've gotten to know you. There's a little bit, of, a little disclosure. I mean, Reed and I have been friends off the air for about ten years now, so I've gotten to know you, and I know that you've never been a rabble rouser. I mean, you've you've been very. Oh, no, never. You've been but very. That's not the way I did things. No, you're very practical, and you you were never afraid to do the work. But uh, but one of the things you had to deal with is that some male producers, they recognized your talent, and some producers couldn't figure out how to deal with you be- simply because you're a woman. I mean, it was such a funny thing. I mean, it's, it's like they knew women outside of the world, of the, of the work world. Yeah. Had girlfriends, they had wives, they knew women. It was so funny to me that they could not understand how they could talk to me. It's like, how do you talk to a woman? who's working with you. I mean, it's ridiculous when I think about it now. You just talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same work you're doing. I'm a professional like you are. But somehow, the idea of women, for them, is so mixed up with other kinds of feelings that they just didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, mean <laughs> I don't know, does that explain it at all? Yeah, I mean, it... it because it, it's so funny. They, they said, you know, well, you don't whine at us like our wives do. And I said, oh, my God, do their wives whine? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I mean, because... You you want, I remember men saying that to me. You're different because you don't cry for what you want. I said, why would I be crying, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm doing the same work you're doing. We're, 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 we're professionally together. Yeah, you were professional through and through. I mean, you didn't you, you didn't use your femininity, although you could have because you know I could have. Yeah, but it didn't it didn't seem to come up. <laughs> well, it it didn't seem to come up, and it wasn't that wasn't who you were. The you, essence who I was, and I didn't come across that way. Yeah. Although I will, I will say I do agree with there are a couple of people in the book who who said that you bore a resemblance to Anne Bancroft. Yeah, right. I see. I I agree with that. I agree with that. You do. <laughs> I thought it was cute that the first agent said, "Wouldn't you rather be an actress?" I said, "I can't act." Why are you asking me that? He said, "Well, you look a little like Anne Bancroft, and besides, there are no women writers." And I say. What do you mean there are no women writers? And he said, well, women work with their husbands. And that's the way it was. They work with their husbands or sometimes, and there, there, there are a number of male, female, in some cases, husband and wife writing teams. Yeah, uh, they were, the quite and, a few. Yeah, uh, uh, Marion and Francis Cockrell is one pair that comes to mind, and there, there are several others. But again, what made you an anomaly is that, and, and, and you... You didn't. I mean, you went by your own name. I mean, I know Dorothy Fontana for many years. In the, uh, yeah, she was, was, was DC Fontana. She was DC Fontana. So she, she once said in an interview, I thought it was really cute. She said, "Well, when they said that DC walked in the room, they figured it was going to be a male, and weren't they surprised?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. But I did that when 
I first very, very early before I did any of the TV, I was writing short stories. I was writing, you know, mysteries. And I was advised if I wanted to sell any of my short stories, not to use my name, but to use initials so they wouldn't know I was a female. And that's exactly how it was. I was R.W. Lakin, and I sold a couple of things to these, uh, you know, these macho male magazines because they never had an idea that I was a woman. And in one of those life is a circle parallels, fast forward X number of years, and you've spent the vast majority of your years outside of television, particularly the last 10, 15 years, writing mysteries. You've been writing the Gladdy, right. the Gladdy Gold Mysteries. And there are plenty of women writing mysteries, so no problem there. You're listening to a conversation with Edgar-nominated writer, producer, and novelist Rita Lakin that originally aired in September 2016. Rita Lakin, creator of The Rookies and one of the first female script writers in network television, leaving her mark at a time when the television industry was almost entirely run by men. Not surprisingly, Rita's memoir about her 25 years in network television is entitled The Only Woman in the Room. Rita Lakin passed away this past Thursday, March 23rd, at the age of 93. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I know we've talked about Aaron Spelling before. I like returning to it because it's one of my favorite topics. And in, in many a favorite res- topic of mine, too. Well, no, because, look, there, some people come across badly in the book because, look, you, you do not pull any punches. You're very honest, you know. But you're, you're fair, but you're honest. Some people come across badly. Some people come across well. And then there's Aaron. I mean, your, your, your relationship with Aaron kind of reflects Aaron's relationship in general, in that you saw the best and, I mean, I won't say the worst, but you saw, you saw, I mean, Aaron was a very complicated fellow. I mean, one of my favorite lines of yours in the book is that he did not like to upset people. And right. he would he would always placate people and promise right. them the world regardless of whether he meant it or not. Oh yeah, uh, Aaron Spelling is actually an interesting um, man. He's a man for the what's the way to put it? Uh, he, he represents for me show business. Yeah, he was always up or down, good or bad, kind or not kind. I mean, it was like the business itself. Yeah. Aaron Spelling was representative of, of, of so much of the television world at that time. Yeah, for, for Aaron, there was, I mean, there's, there's the old cliche. And with Aaron, it was very much true. There was no such thing as bad publicity because it, it meant his name was in the trades. Right, right. It meant people were talking about him. Absolutely. And, and even, <laughs> even if Aaron's shows did not exactly elevate the form, they made uh, they they got a lot of eyeballs and they made a lot of money for Aaron Spelling and for ABC. So you know, I mean, and, and as you say, that embodies show business in a lot of ways. And and yet he did a show like Family, if I remember the name of it correctly. Yes, which was a really classy show. It was a really classy show, and. I mean, I know that to his dying day, Aaron wished that Family was the show that people would talk. Family and the show he did for HBO and the band plays on. Aaron wishes that people would talk talk about those two shows instead of, instead of Charlie's Angels. But but yet he knew the other shows are brought in the money and brought in the fans. I mean, he he just assumed he put pretty people up at a pretty show and they're going to watch. 
you give them too much to think about, and they're not going to watch. And so he just knew exactly what his major part of his audience wanted, and he, he thought that's what he should be giving them. Aaron was not, I mean, like so many of us, Aaron was a contradiction. He was very gallant to women in real life, even though, as you say, he objectified them on his, on his shows. That's true. He was very nice to women. And, and... Um, I don't know how he was to his first wife, but that's for, for the most part. Well, I've, I, I have stories about some of his previous relationships. I mean, I, we'll, I'll, maybe we'll share them off mic, because I don't want yeah, right. to go off, I don't want to go off topic. But, uh, right. <laughs> uh, but he... Uh, he was very—I mean—he was very gallant to you, and he, even though he would—he t- took some of your concepts in a completely different direction than you intended. You will—I mean, cliche. He went for the cliche yeah. all the time. He went—he went for the cliche, you but know, it, that's what sold. That, that, do the same show over and over again with you know. I, I once uh, knew a writer, who uh, shall remain nameless, who told me he shows sold the exact same story as a western, as a mystery. And he went through every single genre you can, and he did the exact same story. And he said, it's the story always sells, so why should I change it? Well, and, and, and go, going back to what you just said, that shows his understanding for how the business works, because I think someone says there are only like five or six essential stories and, That's right. And, but doesn't that explain why there are so many movies made, um, number one, number two, number three? I mean, how many did they do of, of Jaws and so many of the shows that they did so many extra ones? Because they uh, knew the audience wanted to see the same show over and over again. Yeah, and and I mean, the whole concept he of... He was a, a master at that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the whole the whole concept of a sequel, it, a sequel that that's misleading because sequel a sequel is basically the the, the first movie made over again. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no real sense and, of con- and over and over again and over and over again. But uh, then I discovered the same thing writing fiction and writing murder mysteries. I mean, the one thing the uh, publishers wanted is when you gave them a book, they said, "Well, is there a series in it?" Yeah. So, you know, even that was the same kind of thing. I wrote seven books of my Gladys series, mm-hmm. and they were all very successful. And that's what, so that's what they did on television. You did the same thing over and over, and they were successful. Right, because whether it's readers of fiction or viewers of certain formulaic shows, they tune in knowing that the players may be different and some of the plot twists are, be, are, are different, but they tune in knowing that a, they're, they're going to see a certain amount, certain sequence of events. That's right. And if the pre- hero was always going to be the hero, and he was always going to solve the problem by the end of the hour or two hours. Yeah, and, you know... It, There's something comforting in all it, that. It's exactly comforting, especially if, you know, and, and this, this goes back to the era that you worked, that, that you spent you know, the bulk of your career in television in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of upheaval. There was, I mean, there was a lot of social changes. And especially in the 70s when the economy was down and people were facing unemployment, I mean, okay, your work life, your job may not be going very well, but at least you tune in to, you know, the rookies or the mod squad or, you know, uh, if you're watching Idol Lapino and Women in Chains, at least you can forget about your problems for an hour and 90 minutes, you know. Right. 
But then there were a few producers like Frank Glickspin that I did my movie about transgender for. I mean, every one of his TV shows was breaking new ground. I did two shows for him. The other one was about women who wanted to become surgeon. It, it was all very new stuff because this women who wanted to be surgeons was unheard of at the time. Transgender was shockingly unheard of at the time. But there the were these producers who did want to do these shows. Yeah, Frank Frank Glicksman, of course, was the uh, was the executive producer of Medical Center, which is the show Rita was talking about. Right, again, that, exactly. That 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 episode that episode he did years and years of shows like that. Yeah, I mean that 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 that. that, that what uh, that particular episode you talked about—that was the one Robert Reed did—and that was that was a big stretch for him because he was still, and of course we we didn't know the truth about Robert, you know, Reed well, at the time. What we knew about Robert Reed is he was in a sitcom where he was, you know, a lovable daddy. Yes. Didn't know. I mean, he was. It was. It was amazing to the audience that he did that show, but he was brilliant at it, and I guess he was nominated for it he, as well. He was brilliant, he was nominated, and, and, and again, 40 years later, because uh, we, we wouldn't have an environment right now where we can have a show like Transgender, where, you know, it's not, it's not shocking, it's part, it's, it's part of our I culture. It's almost commonplace. It is very much commonplace. You say that. But in order for it to be commonplace, we have to have someone take that first step, and that's what you did when you wrote that episode of Medical Center. That I had no idea at the time <laughs> that there was anything unusual about doing it. Well, no, you, you you can't worry. I mean, you can't worry about that at the time because you know. No, it was just an assignment, and Frank said, "You know, this sounds like something interesting. Look, I just read this article about this this subject and what was going on and." What do you think? And I think I said, I think it'll make a really interesting story. Having no idea of the enormity of the subject. Well, and, and see, that what you just said, that kind of embodies who you are, Rita, because you, and, and, we, and we, we said this before, you're a very, you've always been a very down-to-earth person. I mean, no pretense about you. It's your job. It's your work. You're not making a statement, but... Hopefully, I would like to think, especially when you look back at your life, you know, especially when you came to write The Only Woman in the Room, your, your book. Uh -huh. I mean, I would like to think occasionally you pat yourself on the back. Occasionally. <laughs> but only in retrospect. I didn't at the time. Well, I will pat, I will pat you, even though we're on the telephone, I will give you a virtual pat on the back. Are you on the back right now? Yes. And if, <laughs> Thank yes. you very much. Yes. And when I meet you later this month in in Los Angeles, I will give you an actual, I'll, I'll give you a hug. I'll give you more than a pat in the back. I'll give you That'll a That'll be wonderful. <laughs> Pioneering television writer, producer Rita Lakin, from a conversation that originally aired in September 2016. Rita Lakin passed away Thursday, March 23rd at the age of 93. Thomas Hayden Church will join us. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash 
TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.